If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm-hmm. How are you doing tonight? You know, I'm on a hard fade. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in... I don't know if I would consider this to be a downswing or an upswing, but I have not had the problem of being unable to sleep. That's good. For a minute since yeah. like middle of August. But now I can't stay awake. Yeah. But like I have to stay awake. Right. Life requires you to be awake sometimes. Right. Turns out, learn that the hard Surprisingly way. Surprisingly enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so this whole week, I feel like I've just been floating around. Yeah. In a hard fade. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm. It's been very busy in our household for the we last We did a lot of fun of stuff, weeks. though. We sure did. Kids started their fun extracurriculars, mm-hmm. and we had an anniversary. We went on two dates in the same week, which That's is right. like, I think the only time we've ever done that in our entire relationship. Right. <laughs> <laughs> in our 10-year history. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was man. a fun week, though. It was fun. It was fun. We went and got sushi from a sushi train. That's so fun. If you've never done fun. that, go do it. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Prezes on their recommendation. Yeah, thanks they for listen. that. Yeah, they do. Hi, guys. Hi. And I, I, I almost guarantee you that they said hi back while they were listening because they listened together. When they they listen would. To That's really cute. I and love if they, that. If they didn't, I, I hope they rewind it and then they do it and they get it right next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, we went to a concert. We did. And that was a lot of fun. Got to see one of your favorites and mine. Yeah. Old Connor Oberst. Yeah, that was fun. And the Felice Brothers. And the Felice Brothers. And that was fun for us. Yeah. So. That was awesome. This is also a music podcast now, all of a sudden. Yeah. No. <laughs> just in our intros, we'll just, just talk about. Yeah. There we go. Music. We have a lot of concerts this year. Yes, we do. It's fun stuff. It's so much Nobody fun. cares though. So maybe yeah. we should. Let's go ahead and move along. Scoot our boots in a different direction. Right. To the, the question everybody's asking. Yeah. What are you drinking? You know what? Desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm doing the do, man. Mm. Desperate times call for simply spiked lemonade. If I did that, I would be napping by the <laughs> middle of this episode. <laughs> Ooh, perfect. A little, little bedtime. I noticed all we have left are a bunch of the strawberry flavored ones. Which are the ones that me, I don't like. That's that. what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, there's a lot of these. I guess uh, I'll have one. They're fine. <laughs> They're just not my favorite. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I get it. Well... Was that what? hard? Lots of hard swallows. I know. I had I had an Oreo and <laughs> an Oreo. An Oreo. Why did you say it so? Weird? That's what it is. That's how you say it. Is Oreo? No. <laughs> I'll start a riot over this. Well, then the next question everybody wants to know: Do you have a feel good fact for us today? Yes, it's not the most feel goody, but it is like a little fun fact. Okay, so it's a 
fun, good fact. We do like fun facts. A feel too. fun fact. A feel fun fact. All right. Yeah, so good. a jiffy is an actual unit of time measurement. Really? Physicists use the unit jiffy to refer to how long it takes for light to travel a distance of one feptrometer, which is a millionth of a millionth of a millimeter. Wow. Which I saw calculated as equaling one trillionth of a second. Other institutions use the term jiffy differently, but either way, a jiffy is quick in every situation. That so. is incredibly quick. Now, how fast is a jiff? Well, you know what? I'm not a physicist. I'm not prepared to answer that question. So I don't know. That's that's the mystery side of today's podcast. That's fair. Okay. Well, we don't know exactly how quick a jiff is compared to a jiffy, but the good news is it is remarkably fast. And yeah. that's all we really need to know at this Any point. Any physicists out there that are listening. Yeah. If you Let want us to, know. If you want to tell us how, how much us faster a jiff is. Yeah. Yeah. We're ready. We're ready for the email on that one. Yeah. Someone's right. got to know. But. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My love, what do you got for us today? All right. So this week we are going to travel down to Louisiana to talk about a very famous haunted house. This house is surrounded by a couple of centuries worth of mystery and legends So I'm going to do my best to dig into what's true, what may or may not be true, and what's outright false. Hmm. So even with the weeding out of the untrue stories about the property, it's still considered to be one of the most haunted houses in the United States. Today, I'm going to tell you all about Myrtle's Plantation. Ooh, okay. So hold on, Kev, because this one's a doozy. All right, let's go. All right, so the Myrtle's Plantation was built in the late 1700s by a very interesting man by the name of David Bradford. So David Bradford was born in 1762, likely in Baltimore. Hmm. I couldn't find much information about his childhood. All I know is that he was one of five children born to Irish immigrants. As an adult, Bradford was a general during the Revolutionary War and later found success in politics, business, Hmm. and most notably, as Deputy Attorney General in Washington County, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. He spent years operating his own practice with great success and was the sixth person appointed to the Washington County Bar Association. Wow. So, like, he was one of the early, early ones. OG. OG. So, his success as a lawyer and family connections enabled Bradford to have a pretty impressive home constructed. Construction of this house required materials to be imported from all over the East Coast, with some items needing to be transported through mountains, which I learned is very expensive. Hmm. By the time the house was done, it was considered to be a mansion at the time. It was known far and wide for its remarkable craftsmanship, and Bradford turned the parlor in the home into his office where he would consult with clients. In 1785, he married Elizabeth Porter, and they started a family together in the home. The house has since become a national landmark and museum in Washington, Pennsylvania, which is cool and all. Yeah. But the story isn't about this house. So oh, what drove okay. Mr. David Bradford from Pennsylvania down to Louisiana? Hmm. So Bradford sort of became the face for a political movement called the Whiskey Rebellion. That sounds like my kind of rebellion. I was typing this. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're going to love this movement when oh, I tell you about okay. it. It's this one. Yes. Tell me. All right. So. Under the presidency of George Washington, the first domestic item that was taxed was actually whiskey. Because beer expired too quickly to transport very far, and because the production of rum was down due to the Revolutionary War, the production and consumption of whiskey increased massively Hmm. during and after the Revolutionary War. Because of the debt the United States racked up during the Revolution, the federal government believed that taxing all alcohol, with whiskey being the most widely bought and traded at the time, would help alleviate debt. Hmm. So this tax beginning in 1791 marked the beginning of the Whiskey Rebellion. Local farmers were the first to resist the tax, citing that the principles fought for in the American Revolution, namely the idea of no taxation without representation, those rights were being violated. Hmm. Why should the federal government get to benefit from the tax of their products without local representation? Right. Was their point. Yeah. So the rebellion truly did begin sort of peacefully, but it quickly escalated. The protesters were not shy to utilize whatever means necessary to send a message to the government. Oh, At one point, the angry mob surrounded and burnt down the home of a local tax collector. As violence persisted, Washington sent thousands of troops to Washington, Pennsylvania, 
many calling it the first test of power of the new government. Blood was shed, people were arrested en masse, and as the battle escalated, a frontrunner for the cause was David Whiskey Dave Bradford. <laughs> Whiskey Dave. Whiskey Dave. I'm going to start calling My you that. <laughs> now you have two nicknames. What were our Glark and Doom? Those are our <laughs> alter egos. Yeah. Now also Whiskey Dave. Oh my gosh. It's a new one. All right. There. <laughs> oh, I got to get my giggles yeah, out. Yeah, that's good. Now, that's good. I'm sitting here thinking about Scooter, Sporty Spice, <laughs> <laughs> all the nicknames, Muffin. Oh my gosh. Sugar balls. <laughs> okay. There's a cool but fictional retelling of Bradford's escape that's easy to find if anyone's interested, but I'm going to tell you the true story of how Whiskey Dave scooted his way out of Pennsylvania. So the fun story involves a daring escape through a rear window with the bad guys always at his heels as he quickly fled the city. But in real life, Bradford, at the advice of other leaders in the rebellion, encouraged him to leave. Hmm. He left his wife and kids with the intention of returning home soon after. He first went to Pittsburgh, then to Ohio, back east again, and then he was stopped on his way to present-day Florida, but was sent on his way for whatever reason. Hmm. I couldn't really find much about why that was, but... He was. So in 1796, Bradford arrived and settled in Bayou Sarah near present-day St. Francisville, Louisiana, where he purchased 600 acres of land, which interestingly was Spanish territory at the time. Oh, wow. A year later, he had completed the construction of an eight-room home on that land that he named Laurel Grove. In 1799, the new president at the time, John Adams, pardoned Bradford for his rule in the Whiskey Rebellion, stating that he demonstrated sincere contrition for his actions in the rebellion and that the time spent away from his wife and children was punishment enough. Hmm. So he was a free man. Another reason he was pardoned was due to the fact that he had helped establish a boundary between U.S. and Spanish territories. Hmm. So like his travels down south helped establish U.S. territory. I don't, yeah, I didn't dig too much into that. Borders became more more clear and obvious because of that. Sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or he... Made them more clear in the worst way. Yeah, I don't, I, we're yeah. not going to get into that. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So when all of this was said and done, Bradford's family would join him at the plantation in Louisiana, and life just sort of went on. At some point, a man named Clark Woodruff would connect with David Bradford. Woodruff was a young man who was sort of disenchanted with his family's life and profession as farmers up in Connecticut. So he decided to try and blaze his own trail. He made his way down the Mississippi River, eventually finding himself in St. Francisville in 1810. This is the same year that citizens in the area overthrew the Spanish and took ownership of a large area of land, which I have feelings, like I kind of alluded, I have feelings and thoughts on all this, but we're just going to skip over that for now. Yeah. So Woodruff attempted to launch a school in St. Francisville, but ended up serving in the Battle of New Orleans. After his time fighting was done, he pursued the study of law. His first sort of instructor was David Bradford. It wasn't long after his return to St. Francisville that he met and fell in love with Bradford's daughter, Sarah Matilda. Hmm. The story goes that they met and fell in love beneath the crepe myrtle trees, and that would eventually inspire the name of the property. The two would get married in November of 1817. After the death of David Bradford, Woodruff sort of took over the management of the plantation to help out his mother-in-law, Elizabeth. He expanded the farming on the property and oversaw the planting of more trees and crops and all of that. Unfortunately, he also helped manage slaves on the property. I couldn't find much about this. Most of the history about the property was more about the, like the Bradford family and Mm -hmm. their extended family. But yeah, I thought that was important to at least mention that detail. Right. Clark and Sarah would have three children together, Cornelia, Gale, James, and Mary Octavia. Sadly, the happy times would be cut short for the Woodruffs. In the 1820s, yellow fever was ravaging the area. It's said that there wasn't a single family in the area that hadn't been touched by yellow fever in some way, and that many people died during this time. Oh, man. This would be true at Myrtle's plantation as well. On July 21st, 1823, Sarah Matilda would die after contracting yellow fever. Oh. Yeah. Grief-stricken, Clark continued on with the help of his mother-in-law. But in July of 1824, Clark's only son, James, would also die from yellow fever. And two months later in September, his daughter, Cornelia Gale, would also die from yellow fever. (sighs) That's so awful. Your wife and two of your kids. Yeah. It's hard to wrap your mind around how horrible that would be. 
So sometime in the coming years, Clark would purchase the property from Elizabeth since she was getting pretty old at this point. Yeah. Elizabeth would live in the home with Clark and Mary Octavia until she passed away in 1830. Yeah. So after this, Clark turned his focus away from farming so that he could focus on law once again. He moved off of the plantation and left it under the management of a caretaker. He sold the Laurel Grove property to a man named Ruffin Sterling in 1834. That's a very rough and sterling name. <laughs> oh my gosh. Cringe. You, every day you yeah. become more dadly. Yes. More dadly. Yeah. Yeah. It just came to me on a whim. I probably heard it somewhere, but who knows? Not even I know. Not anyway. Not silent though. Just dadly. <laughs> silent and dadly. <laughs> Anyway. (laughs) Goofy. Yeah. Just goofy. Okay. So he sold the property to a man named Ruffin Sterling in 1834. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know this is a lot of buildup to get to the spooky haunted stuff, but trust me, knowing the background is worth it. So we're going to talk a little bit about Ruffin Gray Sterling, which I think it's a cool name. It is a cool name. So Sterling and his wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, were a wealthy and well-known family who owned multiple plantations in the area. Due to their status and size of their family, the Sterlings had nine children. Oh, wow. Yeah. They wanted to find a home that would be large enough to reflect and serve both of those things. Mm -hmm. So their wealth and their family size. They did a little remodeling of the house, adding a hallway at the center of the home. They removed walls and expanded the interior Uh, which they then turned into four additional rooms, ladies' and gentlemen's parlors, a game room, and a formal dining room. They also raised the ceilings on the main floor, which required them to also extend the overall height of the house. Yeah. On the exterior, they added a large 107-foot-long addition that became a gallery. Rumor has it that they installed locks on the doors of the home, which is normal, but apparently the Sterlings wanted to confuse spirits trying to enter the home uninvited so they installed the locks upside down oh wow yeah okay that'll do it that'll stop a spirit uh, dead in its tracks what the heck how are we gonna navigate this (sighs) what's wrong with this door now now what (laughs) (laughs) so along those same lines they installed a stained glass window on the front door of the house that had french crosses on it which were apparently super effective at warding off evil spirits as well wow so that's a fun little there's some trivia little tidbit So they also imported furnishings and skilled craftsmen from Europe to help them with this massive project. By the time all of the renovations were said and done, the size of the home had doubled. Wow. Big old house. Yeah. With all of the changes made by the Sterlings, the final touch was to rename the property to suit them better. And that's how the property got its name, the Myrtles. Yeah. So little difference in in the stories. The Sterlings named it that. Or the Woodruffs named it that. Right. Either way, became the Myrtles Plantation. Yeah. The Sterlings finally had a forever home, and they were overjoyed to see the end result of the hard work they poured into the home. And by the end of the renovations, there were a staggering 28 rooms in the home. Wow. 28 rooms. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. I can't even think of how you would begin to manage 28 rooms. One every day. And then three days off. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's a good idea. So unfortunately, they also would not live happily ever after in this home. Four years after the renovations were complete, in July of 1854, Ruffin Sterling died of consumption, which is what they used to call tuberculosis back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yes. So Mary Catherine was left not only to care for her nine children, but also to care for all of the many properties that her husband had left behind. Wow. She earned herself this very condescending praise. She apparently, quote, had the business acumen of a man. <laughs> it's like. Good for her. A little like yeah. pat your bangs, a little yeah. head pat. Aww, look at so you. So cute. Wow, yeah. You're like a man. Like, I know it was a different time, but like, ew. <laughs> Still kind of. Yeah. I read that and I actually saw my brain because I rolled my <laughs> eyes so hard. I'm like, <laughs> you did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyway. She would successfully take care of the lands for several years, but those years would be marked by more loss. Her oldest son, Louis, died the same year that her husband died, and out of her nine children, only four would live long enough to become adults and start families of their own. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Half, like, more than half of her children. Yeah. No, oh, that's really sad. No. 
1852, Mary Catherine's daughter, Sarah Mulford, married a man by the name of William Drew Winter. They went on to have six kids together, with one of them, Kate, dying at the age of three due to typhoid. So there's a legend about this specific event that I should probably include, but it's not verified to be true. Okay. It seems to be one of the stories that have popped up about the Myrtles over time. So as the story goes, when little baby Kate came down with typhoid, William and Sarah were desperate to save her. So they contacted a local voodoo priestess by the name of Cleo. Cleo spent days with the child, performing rituals and doing what she could to try and save her, but Kate inevitably passed away due to the sickness. Enraged at his loss, Winter had Cleo hung since she didn't manage to save his daughter. Oh. That's a legend, like I said. Yeah. Cleo may or may not make an appearance again in this episode, so I thought that I should bring her up for just a second. Mm-hmm. So I hope that one's not true. I sure hope not. Jeez. So shortly after her husband's passing, Mary Catherine hired William to help her manage all of the different properties. And so she named him the attorney and agent of the properties in 1865. In exchange, he, Sarah, and their children could all come and live at the Myrtle's plantation property. But the bad luck would keep on coming. During the Civil War, the home was pretty regularly looted by Union soldiers that were passing through the area, with many of their personal belongings being taken. The sugar fields that the Sterlings had invested pretty heavily in were pretty much destroyed. And all of the accumulated wealth that remained was all worthless because it was all in Confederate currency. Oh, man. So they lost pretty much everything. Yeah. Oh, God. By the end of 1867, they were all bankrupt, losing their properties as well. Jeez. Yeah. That's really dark very, very fast. Yeah. I'm sure that there's... It's kind of conflicting because it's one of those, like... Like, <laughs> Serves like, you right kind of yeah. a thing, but also, like, man, that's... That also would just really suck. Like, especially if you, like just inherited all of it. Mm-hmm. You inherited all of the problems and all of the things that. Right. Like that wasn't your decision in the first place. You sure. Know? And sure. now you're losing all of it and you had nothing. Yeah. That's just really. What a mess. It's conflicting. Yeah. Either way, it's a mess. So nobody knows exactly how this happened, but within a few years of losing everything, the decision to repossess all of the family's properties was overturned. Oh. And the Myrtles was sold back to Sarah since she was the heir to her father's property. Wow. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but that's what happened. So in 1871, William was teaching a Sunday school lesson when he suddenly heard someone approaching the home on horseback. Whoever this person was called out to him, saying that the two of them had business. He went outside to the porch where he was shot and killed. A man by the name of E.S. Weber was named the potential suspect, Hmm. but from what I could find, nobody was ever officially tried or charged for William's murder. And so that's technically still an unsolved and unresolved case to this very day. Wow. So William was killed on the porch. Not great. Interesting. Yeah. Sarah was crushed by the loss of her husband and died just seven years later at the age of 44. Oh, wow. Yeah. She also had lived in the home with her mother, brothers, and kids until the time of her death. Mary Catherine Cobb passed away two years later in 1880. Hmm. Okay, so we're almost through all of the laying of the foundations, and then we're going to get into creepy ghost stories. Okay, good. I'm ready. Okay, so after Mary Catherine's death, her son Stephen bought Myrtles. He hung on to it only for a few years before he was forced to sell. Some say that he lost the house in a game of chance. (laughs) But most believe that the large amount of debt that the family was in was the primary reason that he had to sell the home to someone outside of the family. Oh, yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. So the home changed hands of ownership a couple of times before it landed in the hands of a man named Harrison Milton Williams. He was a young widower from Mississippi who had gotten remarried to a lady by the name of Fanny Lenot Harrison. Fanny Lenot? Fancy Fanny. Yeah. He also brought his young son. He spent the following years building a name for himself through his hard work as a farmer, and eventually he and his wife would have six more kids, so seven altogether. Wow. But as things go for those who try to make Myrtle's plantation a home in the 1800s, tragedy would strike once again. 
Yes. So one night it was storming pretty violently. So one of the Williams sons, Harry, was outside trying to get the cattle all loaded in safely from the storm when he fell into the Mississippi River and drowned. Oh, just awful. So his parents were overcome with grief at his passing. So they sold the property to one of their sons named Sergeant Williams. Hmm. Sergeant married a woman named Jessie Folks, and the pair had also shared the home with one of Sergeant's sisters as well as one of his aunts, who they described as a spinster aunt, which rocks. But anyway, they moved into the home as well. So the aunt was a card. Her name was Katie, but everyone called her the colonel behind her back. (laughs) Because even though she was kind and sweet, she was also known for being a little odd and was kind of like rough and tumble. Yeah. And she kept things lively and fun on the property for quite some time. The colonel. (laughs) Honestly, if I found out that my... Nieces and nephews were calling me the colonel behind right. my back. <laughs> I wouldn't even be mad. Be like, that's right, I am. I'd be like, sure. <laughs> you know what? Okay. <laughs> so I loved that. I had to include that. After a while, the remaining Williams children sold the home, but split the ownership of the land surrounding the home amongst themselves, ultimately selling the house to a widow from Oklahoma who made her fortune in the world of chicken farming. Uh, her name was Marjorie Munson. This was in the 1950s, and it was also around this time that the ghost stories began. Oh, okay. The stories would really pick up steam in the 1970s when the Myrtles became a bed and breakfast Hmm. under the ownership of a different set of owners, the Myers family. So it's going to get a little ghosty for a bit. Here we go. So I'm going to start with one of the more famous ghost stories coming from the Myrtles. Even though this one is based on a person that most like historians and people who've looked into kind of the history of the plantation don't think ever existed. Mm, (laughs) They don't think this person existed, but it's a very famous story. Okay. So according to the legend, all was not as it seemed with the honorable Clark Woodruff. While Clark had a good reputation as a lawyer and a farmer in the area, he was also known to be a player. Hmm. As the legend goes, while Clark's wife, Sarah Matilda was pregnant with their third child, Clark began forcing an intimate relationship with one of the slaves. Oh no. A young woman named Chloe. So Chloe hated being forced into being intimate with Clark, but because she did this, she was able to work inside of the house instead of being made to work long, grueling hours in the heat outside in the right, fields. Right. So she just kind of went along with it oh, for a while, Yeah. which please don't let this story be I true. I really hope not. Yeah. So Clark, Awful. in this version of the story, Clark is a man of insatiable lusts. So he got tired of Chloe. So he began trying his luck with other house workers and other female slaves. Chloe, nervous that the end of her rendezvous with Clark would surely mean that she would be stuck working in the brutal outdoors again, began listening in to private conversations between Clark and his wife or Clark and other people. Hmm. That is until she was caught. Oh, no. She was ordered to have her ear sliced off with a knife to pay for listening in. Oh. She used a green head wrap as a cover-up for the missing ear and as a cover-up for the scar that was left behind in its place. So, a little intense. So, enraged by her unfair dealings, Chloe concocted a plan. Some say that this was a plan that would keep her in the home longer, while others say this was just plain old revenge. But either Uh way, this is what Chloe allegedly did. Uh The oldest Woodruff daughter had a birthday coming up, so Chloe planned to poison the birthday cake that she was told to bake for the celebrations. Oh, wow. Yes. So the people who think she did this to stay in the house longer say that the idea there was that if Sarah Matilda and the kids were sick, she could spend a good chunk of time nursing them back to health, thus keeping herself out of the fields for longer. Mm -hmm. So she got to work baking the cake, adding a super special top secret ingredient, oleander flowers, which are toxic to humans. So toxic that a single leaf can kill an adult human. Oh, no. Yes. So when she served the cake, Sarah Matilda and the children were the only ones who had any. And within hours, they weren't just sick. They were dead. Oh, no. So trigger warning for this next part, because it's pretty graphic, even though it's most likely fictional. So the other slaves got wind of what Chloe had done and that Clark was still alive. They were certain that Chloe would be punished, and they were all afraid that maybe they would get punished as well. Yeah. So they waited until it was late at night. They broke into Chloe's room and hung her from a tree outside. After she died, they cut her down, tied rocks to her body, and threw her in the river. 
Oh, jeez. Yeah, very graphic. So in his grief, Clark closed down the room that the children and his wife had had their last birthday celebration in and referred to it only as the game room from that point forward. Mm. Clark would die at the hands of a murderer years later. So as for Chloe, wow. allegedly her ghost can still be seen at the Myrtle's plantation. She's been seen by guests at the bed and breakfast over the course of many years and is even said to be in one of the most famous photographs that's ever been taken on the property. Oh. Yes. Wow. So in 1992, while snapping photos around the property for insurance purposes, the owner snapped the infamous photo. This photo is of a blurry female apparition wearing what looks to be a green head wrap and sporting a stoic face as she stands between two buildings. This photograph is actually still sold on postcards from the plantation owner to this day. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 1995, the photo went under some analysis, and it was determined that the sort of transparent figure in the photo has correct size and proportions mm-hmm. when compared to its surroundings. That it's, it's definitely the size of a human. Yeah. Whatever it is. Which is wild. That is crazy. So guests who have seen this specific apparition claim that sometimes they'll see her but hear the cries of children at the same time, which is creepy. Ooh, that's very creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Other people that are <laughs> staying overnight in the bed and breakfast will say that they'll be like casually sleeping. They'll wake up suddenly to see Chloe's face staring at them from under or next to the bed. Ooh. Or that they'll wake up to Chloe standing there holding a candlestick that she'll put down before tucking guests into bed. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I didn't request uh, turn down service. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That would stress me out so yeah, much. That'd be scary. <laughs> no, thanks. I, I'm not interested, please. So it doesn't take much to notice the pretty stark differences between the first account that I'd given you about the Woodruffs and the second mm-hmm. account. Yeah. All of the death records and other information documenting the lives of the Woodruffs Definitely line up with the first story. Right. Like, you know, this person's cause of death was listed as yellow fever in in this year at this time. Yeah. You know, so all of that. So how did the story of Chloe come to be? Well, this one actually has a simpler answer. The lady who had bought the home from the Williams family quickly began hearing all about her home. There were many stories of strange and mysterious sightings and occurrences from locals. Even the granddaughter of Harrison and Fanny Williams had claimed to see the ghost of an old woman wearing a green head wrap or bonnet. She wasn't a young, beautiful, Mm. enslaved woman like the one from Chloe's story, according to locals who'd seen her. But that's where the story began, and it just kind of morphed over time. Yeah. So by the time the Myrtles changed hands of ownership again, the story had been embellished to the fully fictional horror story that I just told you about the tragic life and death of Chloe. So many people believe that since the story of Chloe was made up, that maybe the ghost isn't Chloe, but actually Cleo. Oh. The voodoo priestess who was allegedly hung after not performing a miracle by curing typhoid. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So now the trouble with this kind of starts the same. The story of Cleo is also most likely made up. There's no actual records of this person. Right. But either way, many people have claimed to see this ghost the one with the, of the elderly black woman with the green head wrap mm-hmm. in and around the home. So, and wow. they actually talk about her on the tours yeah. that you can go on. Hmm. So even if the legends behind that apparition are false, it doesn't necessarily mean that the apparition hasn't been seen. Just going to say that. Sure. Especially with the photo. It is weird. I'll definitely put it on the Instagram. Yeah, that photo is crazy. There are tons of crazy photos wow. from this place. There's yeah. this one where... The Myrtles actually posted this on their Facebook in 2017. So there's a group of women who took like a selfie together mm-hmm. outside and behind them in the window is a young girl. It's like Ooh. super creepy. Ooh. Many people think that it's the ghost of Chloe. What? So who's to say? Oh, ah. <laughs> he's dressed Goose, up. Goosebumpery. That's, <laughs> that's what it is right here. I can feel it. Yeah. So the stories surrounding the property as a whole also continued growing over the years, attracting ghost hunters and enthusiasts, as well as magazines, television shows, Mm -hmm. and so on. Everyone wanted to see what was going on at the Myrtles for themselves. The legends grew into there allegedly being 10 or more murders on the property. Wow. Even people saying that Ruffin Sterling was murdered. 
even though he also died mm. of yellow fever. Right. But that's the way that these things go, you know. It's more exciting to give an already gloomy and upsetting story about a mm. property. Like, let's add details and make yeah. it more juicy and make it more scary, right, you know. Right, right. So, like, the story of the three Union soldiers. This is a, another famous one. Okay. So, there were three Union soldiers who were shot dead in the gentleman's parlor. The story goes that after their bodies were removed, there were blood stains on the floor in the shape of human bodies that couldn't be washed away for quite some time. Hmm. And it wasn't like blood stain. It just wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. So once the home had been opened as an inn that guests could spend the night in, there was apparently a maid who tried for over a month to remove the blood stains with no luck until they finally mysteriously vanished. Oh, weird. The blood yeah. stains would also never return again convenient <laughs> so this story probably also didn't happen right right there's no record of any union soldiers being shot here and relatives of the people who owned the inn at the time that the story would have taken place say that this story is made up hmm. like okay. we, we don't have this in our family records yeah. either yeah the only known and confirmed murder to take place at the property was the murder of william winter on the porch right that story also has its own embellishments Apparently, you can hear the footsteps of William Winter on the staircase. The legend for this one says that after he was shot, he staggered in like an adrenaline-fueled stupor up the mm -hmm. stairs, dying on the 17th step. And if you're lucky, you might just get to see the ghost or hear the final steps always stopping on the 17th stair. Ooh. Either way, yeah. I don't want to hear footsteps y right, right. coming up. I don't care who they belong to. Yeah. Especially I if I look back and there's no one there. Like, this is worse. Like, this hard is... no on that. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so I know nobody came here for me to tell you tall tales of spooky ghosts and fictional stories about salacious affairs ending in murder. I'm here for any of those things. Well, but good. Yes. I'm glad you're here for more. But given the pretty huge amount of deaths inside the home and on the property that can be verified, there's bound to be something spooky to show for it. Yeah. So there are many stories about the plantation that either can't be outright proven as false or at the very least lack a logical explanation. Hmm. So we're going to get into some of those now. Okay. Okay. So as far as I could find, Kate's bed is still inside of the Myrtles. The bed hmm. of the toddler who died of typhoid. Yeah. In her bed. That bed's still Ooh. there. Oh, why? I don't know. I don't like that at uh, all. Yeah, no. I creepy. Why would you and leave that there? Just, oh. yeah. Yuck. So yeah. many people have said that the bed will sometimes violently shake so hard that it has left dents and scratches in the hardwood floors. Jeez. There's another pretty infamous photo that many believe shows either Kate or Cornelia Gale, or maybe one of the other young kids that had died here. A lot of people don't think it's Kate because the child in this photo looks more like a kid and less like a toddler. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this photo shows a woman and some kids who came to visit the house. In the background of the photo is the face of a young girl in old-timey clothing staring out the window behind them. Hmm. I'm going to share this one to the gram too because yeah. it's like what is that? <laughs> yeah. Cornelia is the one that's pretty famously attributed to being in the photo. She's also apparently been seen floating either inside in the game room or outside of that same window by many guests. Oh, wow. Whoever this little child is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, creepy. That is creepy. Just any anything that is like an unexplainable apparition is automatically like just gives me gives me the, the goosebumps. I'm just like, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people are going there to see that sort of thing. Right, right. And so we can, I'm sure we can imagine those things. Yeah. You know, I'm sure we can. But at the same time, there's also plenty of people that go that think it's like a crock. Right. And they're shocked to be like, yeah. wait, what then was that? they see that? something and they, yeah. Yeah. They become believers. Okay. So on the topic of ghosts and old timey clothing, many guests report seeing and hearing children in old timey clothes running and playing in the halls or outside on the veranda. Hmm. Okay. So in the grand hall of the home, there's an old mirror that's over 200 years old. Wow. Many, many guests and visitors claim to see the faces of a woman and two children looking back at them in the mirror. Ooh. Sometimes the figures are seen crying and other times they're just sitting there staring blankly. Which. Yeah, that just gives me the goosebumps again. You're I'm just, just sitting here getting goosebumps tonight. 
It's the yeah. name of the game. So that same mirror also regularly has handprints and these like drip marks, but they look like they're coming from inside of the mirror. Oh. So they clean this mirror all the time, mm-hmm. but no matter how many times it's cleaned, the handprints and drips keep appearing and the glass inside the frame has been replaced a few times over the years, hmm. but the handprints and drips still keep appearing. Oof. Nobody knows what's causing it. Yeah. That is a Creepy. very odd yeah, <laughs> phenomenon. Oh, mom, the mirror's dripping again. Oh my gosh. Makes me think of what, whatever scary movie it was. <laughs> Cindy, the TV's leaking. Yeah, the TV's leaking. <laughs> <laughs> the one where they spoofed the ring. Uh, I remember that one. <laughs> okay, so there's another story of a man who was hired to greet guests as they come onto the property through a large gate. On one of his first days on the job, he claimed that a woman in a long white dress walked past him, not saying a word. He watched her walk towards the property, and he lost his marbles when she walked through the door without opening it. He quit his job and never came back. <laughs> There are plenty. Yes, that, that guy did the right thing. Correct. That is the correct move. <laughs> so there are plenty of stories from employees that say they've seen their fair share of similar sightings, hmm. which is just so. Yeah. Trying to add my opinions on this is pretty redundant because yeah, it's all yeah. very unsettling. <laughs> yes. Creepy, yes. but also kind of fun because I'm not there. It's definitely fun. It's a fun. Yeah, it's a fun ghost story for sure. It is a fun ghost story. Some one off occurrences on the property include hearing screaming on the grounds. Don't like that. The piano will often play by itself, even at odd hours of the night. Don't like that. But it'll stop if you enter the room. Oh, I don't like that either. People will sometimes only hear children, but not see them. So they go to like look around and make sure that there's no like injured children nearby. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Only to never locate a child. Some people claim to hear those footsteps on the stairs that I told you about. Beds will randomly lift off the ground. Guests will get sudden like wafts of perfume. Many believing that it was Mary Catherine Cobbs since they were those like wealthy socialites. Right. The crystal chandelier will regularly be seen swaying back and forth, even when the windows and doors to the home are closed. There's no, like, breeze or anything moving it. People will hear guns firing randomly. There's this lady who wrote a blog about her visit there with her mom, and I'm going to link it so that people can read it Mm because it's pretty wild, too. So they stayed in the room that Kate died in. And at multiple points in the night. Oh, why? Oh, uh, gosh. Okay. It's like part of the craziness. Yeah, keep going. So at multiple points in the night, not only did they feel the bed shaking, but she said that she felt what she said that she felt what she described as a childlike presence in the bed that had crawled in and cozied up next (sighs) to her. She timestamped all of the experiences she had on the property and like listed out what happened at this exact time. So wild. Mm. So she also said that she tested out how much strength it would take for a person to shake the bed, mm-hmm. like the way that it was shaking. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't, she couldn't get it to oh not even gosh. close to as much intensity. Like, so when she was laying in it, it was like violently shaking. Yeah. She got up and tried to do it. Couldn't and, because yeah. it was heavy. Right. Yeah. So that is also very strange. Okay. So there was a TV miniseries that was filmed on the property. That was a remake of the long hot summer. The series was not spooky or paranormal to say the least, (laughs) but cast and crew who worked at the Myrtles all reported pretty scary things. So the most talked about occurrence that this group had was one day they were moving furniture around in the game room and dining room where they were planning to film later that day. Mm Mm-hmm. They all left that location for a short period of time. And when they came back, the furniture had all been moved back to its original position. Yeesh. They said this happened to them multiple times. But once they got all of the shots that they needed for the show, cast and crew were relieved yeah. to get to film somewhere <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah, they booked it out of there. They packed up and left. Oh my gosh. So one of the weirdest rooms in the house is the Fanny Williams room, otherwise known as the doll room. Oh, that's not creepy automatically at all. Google that. Nope. May, I'll just put a picture on the gram of that, <laughs> that's too. That's plenty enough for me, yeah. Guests who stay in this room claim to experience all kinds of creepy things. They'll wake up to the sound of laughter or children. No. Or the bed shaking. 
Once again, sometimes the dolls that are on the mantle in the room will suddenly fly across the room, almost as if someone is tossing them. Many guests will say they get this unmistakable feeling of small, childlike hands tugging on them. Or that they'll wake up and there will be a doll laying in bed next to them that wasn't there when they went to sleep. So who put it there? It could just be a really sweet little baby ghost who's like, here, take this doll. You'll sleep great. Yeah. You know, like just being a helper. I think about when my kids tug and pull on me and on my clothes (laughs) and I don't like that very much, but I can see them. (laughs) I wake up in a fright if one of our kids breathes near the bed. (laughs) (laughs) They'll just walk in and be like, the oldest has this habit of very lightly touching my top lip <laughs> when she gets freaked out and like, is like coming to get comfort from mom. Yeah. And I wake up with like flailing arms. So, <laughs> and I made her and I oh. love her and she's not a ghost. Right. So I can imagine how afraid I would be. Yeah. On the cute side, I have definitely had kids bring me their stuffed animals to snuggle with. And I unknowingly snuggled with a stuffed animal overnight and <laughs> it can be quite nice. Yeah, but no ghost babies delivered you. That's true. A little toy to snuggle. It's true. It's true. That was a real kid with a toy that I'm familiar with, like a little tiny giraffe or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So the Myrtles is still doing tours. The tours wow. are free if you also book a room, which last time I checked, rooms are between $150 and $550 a night, depending on the season and the room that you book. Oh, boy. They also have a restaurant. You can book events there. So if you ever get a wild hair to head down south to Louisiana for some spookage, this would be the place to go. Wow. It's pretty clear that even without the embellished stories, the history of Myrtle's plantation is full of death, grief, and loss, Mm -hmm. which to many is the perfect recipe for a haunting. And I think that the Myrtle's definitely earned its way into being considered one of the most haunted houses in America. That's what I have for you. Wow. Yes, it, it, it sure is. Just from this story. <laughs> Wait till I show you the photos. Oh, oh. If you guys haven't followed us on Instagram, go do that because you want to see these pictures. Yeah. They're so strange. Even even skeptics in this house are going to be terrified by them. Wow. Well, I'm just. Also, go watch video tours. You can actually, some people will record. Oh, wow. Yeah. Creepy. Just weird stuff happens. Yeah. Look it up on YouTube. There's some crazy stuff. My goodness. Well, thank you for sharing. And thanks to our listeners for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. And I had so many goosebumpery moments. I'm just going to go with unsettling because I'm unsettled and now I can't go to sleep tonight. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I do <laughs> what I can. I do sleep pretty well regardless, but... Oh my gosh, that's a spooky story. That's a lot of spooky stories mm-hmm. and things that, you know, obviously there's a level of trust that people are like telling the truth, but right. that's a lot of people to be showing up, making stuff up, you know, over the course of a couple hundreds of years. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Oh. Yeah. And I, I was looking at, you know, I read a bunch of stuff preparing for this and I watched videos and all of that. But I think when I started looking at photos, Mm-hmm. Is when I was like, that is strange. And especially the ones that have been professionally analyzed by like non-biased parties yeah, yeah. that'll say, this is not a photo that's been manipulated in any way. And I can't tell you what the subject is in this photo. <sighs> Plenty yeah. like that. And Jeez. I think that that's the thing that's like, okay, this actually is really creepy. Yeah. So you would agree with me. Unsettling is probably the best Probably term for this one. I'm teetering between Best category. unusual and unsettling because true, true. I mean, maybe we're lucky we don't live in a haunted house, but yeah, I'm gonna go with unsettling. You don't want roommates? Never mind. Oh, <laughs> why did you say it that way? <laughs> oh, well, if you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you enjoy your listening on. And that you leave a five-star review helps other people find this podcast. Um, and go ahead and share it out with your friends and family and anybody else that you think might enjoy it. And if you would, Haley already made this mention, but go ahead and go follow us on social media, primarily Instagram or Facebook. And yes. we also do have a TikTok, though. And Instagram I need to and do t- something on the TikTok. At some point, we'd probably need to be a little <laughs> more active over there. I'm too old for that, I think. <laughs> that might be. No, I don't think you are. 
But on TikTok and Instagram, the handle is this one is a doozy. And uh, on Facebook, we are this one's a doozy podcast. And then also, you can reach out to us directly via email. This one is a doozy at gmail.com with your recommendations of stories, with personal stories, and uh, anything else that you might just want to drop a little little letter in and say what's up. We got a fun thought and not not quite a like personal story in the classic sense, mm-hmm. but somebody who's got some insights on Bigfoot. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Ooh, that'll be fun. Someone that we know also, which really? is even more interesting. Okay. It's like, girl, you've been holding out on me. <laughs> now I know, though. So I'm excited to share. Okay. I'm excited to hear. Yes. So many fun things coming up coming on up. October. There's going to be even more fun stuff going on around here in the doozy world. <sighs> we'll have bonus doozies. Bonus we'll have doozies. personal stories. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Tell you what. It's going to be a good time over here. With that, friends, listeners, family, baby ghosts, baby ghosts, whoever is listening, really, cryptids, we will see you next week for another doozy. Mm. Thank you. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.